Welcome to the podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. I'm Kristen Stoneking, the senior pastor here. And I'm Brian Adkins, associate pastor. Our mission here is to live out God's love for all. We strengthen our faith as we worship, study, develop a creative, supportive community, and serve others. Our podcast blends a taste of the music that we experience here in worship on Sunday mornings, along with a scripture reading and a message. book of John chapter 20 verses 19 to 31. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written here. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. Thanks, Peter. Good morning. I'm Kristen Stone King, Senior Pastor at Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, and so glad that you have joined for this online service of worship this morning. Will you pray with me, please? Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, this last week was the 50th anniversary of Earth Day. And so this morning we've been celebrating that milestone. We had a, a special opening prayer that honored the Earth. We've had hymns that, that lift up the beauty of our Earth and meditations focused on creation. Epworth's newly established climate emergency response team has invited you to watch and respond to the documentary film, The Human Element, 
and the link is still on our website and on our Facebook page if you haven't had a chance to do that yet. A few months ago, a friend of mine shared with me the new daily e-newsletter called Heated, which was created, uh, is written by, it was launched by a woman, a young woman named Emily Atkin. Atkin quit her job last year as a writer for the New Republic to launch the newsletter and devote pretty much all of her time every waking hour to reporting on climate issues in the way that she felt was most needed and most effective to be able to focus on corporations, governments, and greed. Heated has quickly become one of the most go-to sources of climate-related uh, reporting, and Atkin herself is now being called one of the foremost climate journalists in the U.S. Maybe you've seen her, uh, she's regularly featured on MSNBC and CNN, or maybe you've heard her on NPR. On the six-month anniversary of Heated in early March this year, just, just last month, Atkin announced that she was going to take a two-week vacation. It was the first break that she'd had since launching the newsletter. She said, we launched Heated in September. I said yes to every speaking event and media program I was invited to. I responded to every single email from every single reader. I'm physically unable to do that now, which stinks. But it's also great because it shows how much people care. I'm pretty tired though, so I'm taking a little break to clear my head and my inbox, just two weeks off the grid and then I'll be back. She left the country and came back in mid-March to a changed world when she returned. Most of the US was under shelter in place orders and everything that happened triggered a huge professional identity crisis for Atkin. She wrote, every week I come to you with a clear and unwavering message that solving the climate crisis requires laser focus on the powerful, that we all have a responsibility to reduce our personal carbon emissions but that our responsibility pales in comparison to the bosses, the billionaires, the politicians, and the corporate executives. These are the people who got us into this mess and they should be the ones who are getting us out. The truth is that Atkin doubted that individual responses could ever be enough to solve the climate crisis. I admit, that to some extent, I was in the same camp. In 2014, just days before the United Nations Climate Summit that was, that was to set climate policy for the next decades, I led a contingent from my organization to march in the People's Climate March in New York City. It was considered the lar largest climate march in history with sister actions happening across the globe. But as we came up from the subway that morning, I said to one of our staffers, it's important that we're part of this. But it really rests on governments, politicians, and good policy to address greedy corporations and power-hungry CEOs and enforce policy. The march was a powerful experience, but I doubted our individual actions could ever be enough. People have changed their behavior about as much as they're willing to do, I said. 
Well, in our scripture this morning from John, we encounter the disciple known as Doubting Thomas. The resurrection has happened, but the disciples are huddled together in the locked upper room. And miraculously, Jesus comes to them and offers them peace. They recognize him and their grief turns to joy. The one they love is still among them. He gives them the gift of the Holy Spirit and tells them that just as he has been sent to creation, so they are sent to all of creation to heal and to love. But the problem was Thomas had stepped out at that moment. He missed Jesus's appearance. So when he returns and the other disciples tell him they've seen Jesus, that Jesus is risen and still among them, Thomas says, unless I see the mark of nails in his hands and in his side and put my finger in the bloody spot, I will not believe. Poor Thomas. History will forever refer to him as doubting Thomas. But actually doubt and faith are two sides of the same coin. This is why we pray the prayer, Lord, we believe, help our unbelief. Doubt only happens when people are engaged in something that matters to them deeply, thinking and hoping. Thomas was a disciple, a follower of Jesus, who was still part of the remaining 11. He didn't leave or give up, he was struggling. Over and over in the Bible, we encounter faithful people who are struggling. Their story is their struggle and how they made it through. The struggle is what makes us human and makes us grow. Sometimes, as in the words of the poet Aeschylus, this growth is painful and comes through the awful grace of God. Because the struggle is also what connects us to Jesus, the one who came to us as one of us, who suffered and rejoiced as a common laborer, son, and friend. The scripture from John tells us that about a week after Thomas proclaimed his doubt, Jesus returns to the upper room. He again stands among them and says, peace be with you. This time, Thomas is there. And Jesus invites Thomas to put his hand on his wounds, to touch his pain, to touch his humanity. To me, this wasn't so much Jesus offering proof of his existence and his resurrection, but letting Thomas know that he struggles with us. Thomas recognizes that this is indeed the Jesus he had known and loved and exclaims, my Lord and my God. And Jesus responds simply, blessed are those who have not seen but still have come to believe. Doubt is a manifestation of an inability to see all possibilities. Doubt is a manifestation of an inability to see all possibilities. So often when we face something and struggle, especially when the struggle is something over, is something that we, over something that we long for deeply, we see only a few paths to get there, 
and to arrive at this hoped-for place. But God doesn't. The number of possibilities to get to good for God are infinite. I've always thought that one of the definitions of grace is that no matter what we do, even if we believe we've messed up and made some irrevocable mistake, God reorders things in such an inconceivable way, on such an inconceivable level, that there's always a new path to the best possible outcome. There's always a way to the kingdom of God. That is the meaning of resurrection. When we look at the climate crisis, too often our answers have been binary. It's either the action of individuals that will make the difference, or it's the action of governments and CEOs. Sometimes we've said it's both. But really what we've learned, especially now in this current crisis, is that even these answers are too small, too limited. The path toward climate resurrection is way beyond our imaginings. God is present and working among us, making a way out of no way, using all of our action for change, and even our blunders to bring us into new life. But we have to remember that we have to give something to God to work with. We have to act, even, even if it's an action that isn't quite right. It gives something to God to work with. Who would have ever thought that we as a global community could face something that would force us to act collectively to such a degree as we now have that people in northern India and Pakistan can now see the snow caps of the Himalayas for the first time in a generation? Or that the canals in Venice would be so clear that you could see fish? Or that the air in Los Angeles would be clear on a consistent basis? Now, please don't misunderstand me. I am in no way suggesting that God orchestrated coronavirus to help the environment. What we know about the origins of the virus at this point is that human action and inaction, market economies, the failure of governments, and misfortune combined to create a pandemic. But the point is that we have shown that we can, in order to protect each other, change how we live in drastic ways. Ways that we said before really weren't possible. Now that is not to deny that the shifts we've made haven't had other negative impacts. They have. We know these immediate changes without planning have left many who were already vulnerable even more so and some who were not vulnerable in a new state of need. We, may, we must face these impacts with the same courage that the climate crisis calls from us. In marveling at the ways humans have rallied to protect each other, Emily Atkins said, the hardest thing in the world is to have courage, to work toward a goal despite pain or grief or really crappy odds. But that's what solving the climate crisis will require. That's why I don't think pessimism itself, and I would translate that as doubt, is the problem. Because we're not going to find the resolve to mobilize like we need to if we're all falsely hoping that everything is going to be okay without our mobilization, without our action, without our partnership with God. 
In any real struggle for a greater good, there are periods of doubt. To bring about change in oneself or in a transformed world is a huge task. Am I doing any good, we wonder? Is this even possible, we say? Rather than being signs of lack of faith, these questions show we are, as Brene Brown and Theodore Roosevelt would say, in the arena. And this is the place of life. All of our actions matter. All of our hope, our wondering, our doubting, our stumbling, our embarrassing moments and missteps, especially when we are in the struggle toward a greater good. God comes to us in the struggle, most especially in our doubt and despair, and says, I am with you. Peace be with you. Sometimes God's voice comes to us through the testimony of our comrades in the struggle, our friends in faith, like the disciples who bore witness to Thomas. And sometimes God's presence is right in front of us, an unavoidable assurance. The resurrection of Jesus to Mary and his the resurrection and the appearance of Jesus to Mary and the disciples was a miracle. Something they never thought possible, even though he was always telling them that it was going to happen. In our faith and in our doubt, may we know that resurrection will continue to happen. The paths and the possibilities towards miracle are often beyond our seeing. But as we keep struggling and keep looking for God, we co-create with God a creation resurrected. Amen. You've been listening to the podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. I'm Brian Adkins, Associate Pastor here. We'd love for you to take a next step in growing in faith in this community. If you are here in Berkeley, Epworth's worship is at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 1953 Hopkins Street at the corner of Napa and Hopkins. 
And I'm Senior Pastor Kristen Stoneking. If you connect to our podcast from further away, we would invite you to visit our website, epworthberkeley.org. We'd invite you to keep seeking to grow in faith and to stop by the next time you're in Berkeley. Some days I barely hold on When life drags me down I wanna let go But when my spirit is weak You come to my aid And strengthen my soul I'm lost without you I'll never doubt you, your grace is beyond compare. And though when it rains it pours, you know all I have is yours. You smile when you hear my prayer. You rescued me and I believe that God is love and that is all I need. From this day forth, from all eternity. Say 